Hello there, and welcome to The Mystic Show. Happy you can join me here this morning, or this evening, depending on where you are in the world, or where you are in your mind. So this, The Mystic Show, is where we talk about spirituality and meditation and mindfulness and a lot of the things that we encounter on our spiritual journey. And of course, everyone is on the journey. Some people know it. Some people don't know it yet. But our website is themysticshow.net. And today is October 16th, 2013. So, themysticshow.net is the website. You can find all our information there, including links to our Twitter and iTunes. And um, so, we do the show live every weekday morning at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. And then it gets replayed in the evening twice. Um, And then the shows are archived on themysticshow.net. So, you can go there and browse all the past shows and have a good time checking out all the different topics we've talked about, a lot of the different guests we've had on. Speaking of guests, I'm hoping tomorrow we have a really great guest from uh, the UK, actually, who's here in New Jersey, and who's maybe coming into the studio live. So that'll be just great. Um, so I started this show... Because this is a conversation that I feel needs to happen more often. Talking about spirituality, talking about things unseen and otherworldly. Because it's okay to talk about worldly matters. I mean, we have to talk about food and shelter and work and money. I understand that. And that's good. And we should also talk about the other side of our existence, which is the spiritual side. And not in terms of religion, because religion plays a role. Religion helps some people. And religion is good. But the spiritual journey is a journey inside yourself. It really doesn't have anything to do with a church or a temple or a synagogue or anything like that. Those things may help. Sometimes they may not help. But again, the true journey is an interior journey inside yourself, realizing the truth within inside yourself. I think I just made up a word, with inside. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so let's get right into it. We're, we're almost finishing up our wonderful book here by James Allen, Byways of Blessedness. Uh, this is such a great book. And I'm, I'm getting, getting it over to my, uh, the person who helps me uh, lay out the books and stuff for my publishing company because we are going to publish Byways of Blessedness, hopefully 
pretty soon. Although, you know, the, the process does take a little time, but I'm hoping within a few months we should be able to, uh, have physical copies of this byways book with uh with a couple extra bonus materials inside the book as well so the book is by james allen the english mystic and we are on chapter 13 which we read the beginning of yesterday and we're going to finish it today uh this is called understanding the simple laws of life And yesterday he started, he kind of like was prefacing the simple laws, and I think he got into one of the simple laws, which was um, that basically in the physical world, in the material world, every person knows that they have to support themselves. They have to work and earn some money so they can eat. And that's just commonly understood, right? But in the spiritual realm... For some reason, most people think that they can just do nothing and that they should be given everything, all the blessings and happiness in the universe. So the law that if you work, you will get also applies in the spiritual realm. I mean, that's what he started saying yesterday. So so let's continue with chapter 13, Understanding the Simple Laws of Life from the book Byways of Blessedness by James Allen. If you are in need of any worldly thing, food, clothing, furniture, or other necessary, you do not beg of the storekeeper to give it to you. You ask the price of it Pay for it with your money, and then it becomes your own. You recognize the perfect justice in giving an equivalent for what you receive, and would not wish it to be otherwise. The same just law prevails in spiritual things. If you are in need of any spiritual thing, joy, assurance, peace, or what else, you can only come into full possession of it by giving an equivalent. You must pay the price for it. As you must give a portion of your material substance for a worldly thing, so you must give a portion of of your immaterial substance for a spiritual thing. You must yield up some passion or lust or vanity or indulgence before the spiritual possession can be yours. The miser who clings to his money and will not give up any of it because of the pleasure which its possession affords him, cannot have any of the material comforts of life. He lives in continual want and discomfort in spite of all his wealth. 
The man who will not give up his passions, who clings to anger, unkindness, sensuality, pride, vanity, self-indulgence, for the monetary pleasure which their gratification affords him, is a spiritual miser. He cannot have any spiritual comforts and suffers continual spiritual want and uneasiness in spite of the wealth of worldly pleasures which he fondly hugs and refuses to give up. The man who is wise in worldly things neither begs nor steals, but labors and purchases, and the world honors him for his uprightness. The man who is wise in spiritual things neither begs nor steals, but labors in his own inner world and purchases his spiritual possessions. Him the whole universe honors for his righteousness. It is another law in worldly things that a man who engages himself to another in any form of employment shall be content with the wages upon which he agreed. If at the end of his week's work and on receiving his wages, he were to ask his employer for a larger sum, pleading that, though he could not justly claim it and did not really deserve it, yet he expected it, he would not only not receive the larger sum, but would, doubtless, be discharged from his post. Yet, in spiritual things, men do not think it to be either foolish or selfish to ask for those blessings, spiritual wages, upon which they never agreed, for which they never labored, and which they do not deserve. Every man gets from the law of the universe that upon which he agrees and for which he works, no more, no less. And he is continually entering into agreements with the supreme law, the master of the universe. For every thought and act which he gives, he receives its just equivalent. For all work done in the form of deeds, he receives the wages due to him. Knowing this, the enlightened man is always content, always satisfied, and in perfect peace, knowing that whatever he receives, be it that men call misfortune or good fortune, he has earned. 
The great law never cheats any man of his just due. But it says to the railer and the complainer, Friend, didst thou not agree with me for a penny a day? Again, if a man would grow rich in worldly goods, he must economize and husband his financial resources until he has accumulated sufficient capital to invest in some branch of industry. Then he must judiciously invest his little store of capital, neither holding it too tightly nor letting it go carelessly. He thus increases both in worldly wisdom and worldly riches. The idle spendthrift cannot grow rich. He is wasteful and riotous. He who would grow rich in spiritual things must also economize and husband his mental resources. He must curb his tongue and his impulses, not wasting his energy in idle gossip, vain argument, or excesses of temper. In this way, he will accumulate a little store of wisdom, which is his spiritual capital. And this he must send out into the world for the good of others. And the more he uses it, the richer he will become. Thus does a man increase in both heavenly wisdom and heavenly riches. The man who follows his blind impulses and desires and does not control and govern his mind is a spiritual spendthrift. He can never become rich in divine things. It is a physical law that if we would reach the summit of a mountain, we must climb thither. The path must be sought and then carefully followed, and the climber must not give up and go back because of the labor involved and the difficulties to be overcome, nor on account of aching limbs. Otherwise, his object cannot be accomplished. And this law is also spiritual. He who would reach the high altitudes of moral or intellectual grandeur must climb thither by his own efforts. He must seek out the pathway and then assiduously follow it, not giving up and turning back, but surmounting all difficulties and enduring, for a time, trials, temptations, and heartaches. And at last, he will stand upon the glorious summit of moral perfection, the world of passion, 
temptation, and sorrow beneath his feet. And the boundless heavens of dignity stretching vast and silent above his head. If a man would reach a distant city or any place of destination, he must travel thither. There is no law by which he can be instantly transported there. He can only get there by putting forth the necessary exertion. If he walks, he will put forth great exertion, but it will cost him nothing in money. If he drives or takes a train, there will be less actual labor, but he must pay in money for which he has labored. To reach any place requires labor. This cannot be avoided. It is law. Equally so, spiritually. He who would reach any spiritual destination, such as purity, compassion, wisdom, or peace, must travel thither and must labor to get there. There is no law by which he can suddenly be transported to any of these beautiful spiritual cities. He must must find the most direct route and then put forth the necessary labor, and at last he will come to the end of his journey. These are but a few of the many laws or manifestations of the one great law, which are to be understood, applied, and obeyed before the full manhood and maturity of spiritual life and blessedness can be attained. There is no worldly or physical law which is not operative with equal exactness in the spiritual realm. That is, the inner and invisible world of man's beings. Just as physical things are the shadows and types of spiritual realities, so worldly wisdom is the reflected image of divine wisdom. All those simple operations of human life in worldly things, which men never question, but follow and obey implicitly because of their obvious plainness and exactness, obtain in spiritual things with the same unerring accuracy. And when this is understood, and these laws are as implicitly obeyed in spiritual as in worldly matters, then has a man reached the firm standing ground of exact knowledge. His sorrows are at an end, and he can doubt no more. Life is uninvolved, uncompromising 
justice. Its operations are simple, invincible logic. Law reigns forever, and the heart of law is love. Favoritism and caprice are the reverse of both law and love. The universe has no favorites. It is supremely just and gives to every man his rightful earnings. All is good because all is according to law. And because all is according to law, man can find the right way in life. And, having found it, can rejoice and be glad. The Father of Jesus is the unfailing good which is embodied in the law of things. No evil can happen to a good man, either in life or death. Jesus recognized the good in his own fate and exonerated all his persecutors from blame. No man, he declared, taketh my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. That is, he himself had brought about his own end. He who has, by simplifying his life and purifying his mind, arrived at an understanding of the beautiful simplicity of being, perceives the unvarying operation of law in all things, and knows the result of all his thoughts and deeds upon himself and the world, knows what effects are bound up with the mental causes which he sets in motion. He then thinks and does only those thoughts and deeds that are blessed in their inception, blessed in their growth, and blessed in their contemplation. Humbly accepting the lawful results of all the deeds done when in a state of ignorance, he neither complains nor fears nor questions, but is at rest in obedience, is perfectly blessed in his knowledge of the good law. All right, we'll take a short break here. That's the end of chapter 13. We'll be right back. moment 
Alright, thank you to Eddie Vedder for this song and uh, it's called The Long Road. I think it was from the uh, the soundtrack of the movie Dead Man Walking and um, I saw that movie a long time ago. Anyhow, the song's called The Long Road. Very good. Um, you're listening to The Mystic Show. And my name is Chris Curran, although names aren't really important, right? I mean, we just read in James Allen that the universe has no favorites. So we need names, right? We need a name for identification, but that's about it. Our website is themysticshow.net, themysticshow.net. And you can call up as well. You can call me here. Uh, the number is on the website, or I'll give it right now, too, if you want to jot it down. If you don't want to call, maybe <laughs> maybe you know someone who, who will want to call, and you can listen to them on the air. The number is 973-498-8033. Again, 973 973- Four nine eight eight zero three three, and we'd love to hear from you because we're all on this journey, and you're on your own journey. And it'd be interesting to know how you're doing, what what obstacles you're facing, what you've done that's actually worked for you and helped you. Maybe some of the things you've learned. So, okay, I just wanted to talk for a second about pause your life. Have you ever been on a retreat before? Like go away for a weekend or or a week and just sort of, you know, turn off your cell phones and computers and just unplug for a while? Maybe a short while. Um, If you've ever done that, you, you already know how important that is, right? To balance out all the crazy, relentless day-to-day busyness that we all face in our lives. And Pause Your Life is uh, is an organization that has meetups and retreats. And the website is pauseyourlife.org. And you can actually sign up for a daily email. It's called the Daily Pause. And every morning you'll get an email in in your email box with a quote. And it gives you the opportunity to actually stop for a minute and pause, read the quote, and ponder it for a little bit. There's also a page on the website. It's called um, Pause Now, I think. And it's a page where you can actually kind of offload any, any baggage that you're carrying around with you, any extra weight or, you know, worry or stress. There's a little box on the website where you type in all your everything that's bothering you. And then there's a button you click and that says, "Hey, I'm I'm handing all of this over to the universe." And and I feel light. 
Don't you want to feel that way? <laughs> Maybe you feel that way already. So I, I think I talked about on the, I don't know if it was the first Mystic Show ever, but I definitely talked about the book, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And I think I even relayed the story of how I came across that book. Um, I was in India, and I was in India for the first time, actually, and I think it was for about two weeks, and about a day or two before I was supposed to leave, somebody said, oh, there's this good book, um, it's called The Power of Now, and um, you know, our spiritual guide recommended it. And I thought, oh, wow, that sounds like a cool book. I'll Someday I'll get it. And, apparent, and so then later that day, we ended up going to one of these bazaars. It was a, like a market along the sides of the street. And we were walking around looking at all the items. And, and then like about 100 feet away, I saw a, a guy selling books. And I was like, oh, you know what? Let me see if he has the power of now. And I walked a little closer and this was like the tiniest book stand you've ever seen. It was like, seriously, maybe like 40 books, 30 or 40 books on a, on a little tiny table. And I thought to myself, there's no way that this book is going to be here. Just, just come on, please. <laughs> so what do you think? Of course, I walk up, there's the book right in the middle. <laughs> And of course, in Indian rupees, in fact, I'm holding the book here and I have on the back 225 rupees, which back then I think was about maybe uh, five and a half dollars, something like that. I think now it's probably like four dollars. So anyway, so I bought, obviously I bought the book and I started reading it. Um, I think I started reading it on the, the plane ride home, which is long enough you can get some reading done. If you ever want to read a book and you don't have time, take a flight to India. You'll have about, you know, 16, 18 hours of, of flight time to read. <laughs> the problem with that is after like three hours of reading, you want to do something else. So then you watch a movie. Then you watch another movie. Then you forget that you had a book. And yeah, anyway, it's a whole it's a whole trip there. So so the power of now, I ended up reading the whole book and loved it. It has to be one of the best books on spirituality ever written. And, and I'm not just, you know, that's not just me saying that. I think many people would agree to that. I mean, there's a there's a guy locally here named Leo. He has a, a whole meetup group based around Eckhart Tolle's teaching. And I'm trying to get Leo to come on the show, but I don't know. Maybe he's not getting my emails. So if you're listening, Leo, <laughs> go to themysticshow.net and send me a note through the Contact Us page. So the message in this book, that's what I want to talk about right now. What is the power of now? So, okay, I'll just briefly summarize my interpretation of the general gist of the book. And like the title says, the power of now. So, 
when you think about it, all we really have is the present moment. Right? We know the past was here, but now it's gone. And we have no control over the past, right? I think everyone agrees with this. And the past is is rarely useful to us. I mean, in in worldly things it is, you know, like the like the internal combustion engine for the car. I mean, we shouldn't just throw out all the research we've done over the past hundred years. But that's science. We're talking now about consciousness. We're talking about you and your spiritual being. And really the past is something we've gone through and we've learned and we've lived, and but it's really gone. It's in the past. You can't change it, right? In a similar way, the future is not here yet. And we can endeavor to create results in our future. We can hope to achieve results in our future. But in reality, we don't really know what's going to happen. I mean, who knows? A big meteor could hit the earth in three seconds and we're, we're all done. So, right? So we don't really know. Now, that doesn't mean we should not plan, right? Obviously, we should plan and try to improve things and create a better world for our children and grandchildren. Obviously, we should do that. But the problem comes when, as human beings, we either look to the past or the future and we're either, we're either bewailing our fate when we look at the past or we're worried about the future or a combi- and usually a combination of, all, of, of both. And we forget to be in the present moment. And really, when you think about it, the present moment is all you ever have. Like, there is no tomorrow. There's only right now. Because when it comes for tomorrow, like on on the calendar tomorrow, it's going to be right now for you. So really, all we ever have is the present moment, okay? So that's one of his main points. And, And how does that help us? Why does that matter? Because... All of our problems stem from the fact that we're either looking at the past or looking at the future. Not Well, and there's other ways problems come, but that's one way. And so if we learn to be in the present moment, fully in the present moment, accepting what's here and not, you know, not thinking about the past or future, just being in the moment, everything is good. And that sort of being on the knife edge of of the past and future, being in the moment, that's when we're able to get glimpses of, you know, peace and joy. That's when we're able to feel that stuff is when we're in the moment, we're not really thinking too much about anything. So... We'll get into that a little bit more. So the question is then, okay, but if I'm in the moment, what if the moment is really awful and, and you know, unpleasant? How can that be okay? Well, here's the thing. 
we have okay let me take a step back <clears throat> so each one of us has a mind right you have a mind you're thinking we know this but the problem is we identify with our mind meaning we think we are our mind we you know when you think of yourself you think of that voice in your head and you think that's me but really that's not you that's just your mind your mind is a part of you so the greatest obstacle in spirituality and in life really is to identify with our mind and think that I am my mind. And guess what the chap guess what the title of chapter 1 is to this book The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Title of chapter 1 You are not your mind. <laughs> so this is this is kind of an amazing little realization because when you start to observe your mind, right? Forget about meditation yet. Let's let's just start from really the basics. When you start to observe your own mind, right? Imagine that. You're sitting there. You can do this now if you want. Just observe your own mind. And now here's the question. Who is observing? Or what is observing? Your mind. So some people would call it consciousness or your life force or your soul or to me, consciousness is pretty a pretty good word. So, so what does that prove? That proves that you are not your mind because you're able to observe your mind. So who are you? Where are you? And it's a great way to sort of nudge us into this idea of spirituality. So what are you? <laughs> so when you start watching the thinker, you you separate yourself from your mind and you realize that your mind is just a tool. And and here's the other thing about why meditation is so useful is because our minds well each each of us each person's mind is sort of running on autopilot and we're not able to stop it. So our mind is just going, going, going. And, you know, if you ever think you can stop your mind, just sit down and try and be thoughtless. Yeah, good luck. So that just proves that our mind is on autopilot and it's just running, running, running. And that proves that we're not in control of our own mind. I mean, and that's a crazy thought, right? Imagine this, your mind. Your mind, the only thing, really the, the greatest instrument you have to do anything or to create anything, you're not even in control of it. So who's in control of it then? That's the question. And the answer is it's just habit. It's that simple. It's just habit. You've become habituated to think in certain ways and you've developed habits, mental habits, and those mental habits 
helped you form physical habits. And that's it. It's that simple. It's just a habit. And so what we do during meditation is we're regulating our mind and slowly and progressively becoming the master of our own mind. Meaning now now you are in control. The consciousness, the spirit, the soul, you are in control, not your mind. And that's, I mean, these are just the core basics of, of being a human being. You know, like I say in some of my seminars, you know, we're a human being and we've been gifted with so many beautiful faculties and abilities, but none of us know what they are. And if you don't know what it is, how can you use it properly? How can you learn about it and strengthen it? Unfortunately, you didn't come with an owner's manual, right? There's no owner's manual to being a human being. Like when you buy a car, there's an owner's manual. You, you have you want to know what you want to know about the, the the locking system or the trunk. You just open the book, you flip to the page, you can read all about the trunk, or read all about the locking system or the stereo, the radio. I wish we had one of those for being a human being. And the funny thing is, I think we do have it, but it's inside of each one of us. And again, that's why we meditate, because when you meditate and you start to connect with your heart and connect with your higher self and connect with the universe, you you will get answers. If you have a question or a problem, you will get answers. You'll just know what to do. It's hard to talk about that in terms of how to actually do it. The only answer is to meditate. That's why a lot of the a lot of the spiritual guides, they just recommend it, meditate. In fact, when you ask them questions, a lot of times they don't answer. <laughs> Purposefully, they don't answer your question because they want you to figure it out. And what's the only way? Meditation. So I think we're just going to take a quick little break and then... Uh, continue about the power of now. If you do have any questions or comments, give me a call. 973-498-8033. You want to throw your hat into the conversation? Please do. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks to David Lands for his song called Christophori's Dream. I don't know if I pronounced that right. 
That's not as hard to pronounce as some of those Anya songs. Woof. <laughs> anyway, welcome back to the Mystic Show. I'm Chris Curran, sitting in a studio. I wanted to say all by myself, but I don't know if you should know that. <laughs> Anyhow, I'm having a wonderful time hosting this show. Again, The Mystic Show, all about mindfulness, spirituality, the otherworldly. And this is a conversation that must happen more and more and more. I meet people all the time who want to start meditation because they know there's more to life than going to work, eating dinner, going to sleep. And on the weekend, going crazy and and maybe go on vacation once every two, three years. I don't even think families go on vacation every year anymore. Maybe some do, but I'm, I meet tons of people who, oh, I haven't been on vacation in six years. Really? I think traveling is so important. Get away. Go away. Leave. <laughs> you know, go do something different for two, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, whatever you can do. Of course, there's a guy, I think he's in Ireland. I just read an article where he tried to live without money. So he didn't want to spend any money. He didn't want to earn any money. He just didn't want anything to do with money. And he had, he was a guy who had a degree in finance <laughs> and he had a good job too. But for some reason he wanted to do this and try it. And uh, so he talked about everything he was doing, like how he was, you know, even brushing his teeth and where he was living and what he was eating and you know, very rough lifestyle, right? Not very comfortable. And um, when I was reading that article, I thought, you know, instead of, well, let's just put it this way. My spiritual guide has a quote that says, instead of going into the, instead of leaving your family and material life and going into the jungle to meditate, he said, bring your jungle in bring the jungle into your house. And what that means is you don't have to go live in the jungle to be a spiritual person because it's an inside job. It's an it's an inner game. This whole spiritual game is an inner game. So you can bring the jungle into your own house. You could just sit and meditate. So I that's what I thought when I read that article about the guy who gave up money and, you know, was trying to live without money and without a house, without anything, really. I thought, I mean, that's extreme. And, hey, it's part of his journey. I get that. And he's doing well. And I like that. Um, but I, it just made me think of that point that, you know, you want to bring... Uh, you want to feel like you're on top of Mount Everest? Okay, close your eyes. <laughs> Meditate. You know, it's a lot it's a lot easier than going to climb that mountain and climb over, well, I maybe I shouldn't say it, but climb over all those frozen dead bodies that are laying on the trail. I mean, that's pretty crazy actually. There's all the people who die going up to Mount Everest the altitude is so high that they can't 
really retrieve the bodies. There's there, no planes can go that high. No helicopter can go that high. And they they're frozen, and they just can't move them. So so what? They're going to be there forever. It's pretty strange. Anyhow, we're talking about the power of now, and uh, our website is themysticshow.net. You can listen to previous episodes. You can even comment on on the posts. And we've been tagging all the posts with all the keywords, so you'll see like a zillion keywords on the website. So check it out. And so we're talking about the book, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. It's a book that had a big influence on me. So we were just talking about that you are not your mind, which is very important. And we're talking about there's there's really no past or no future. It's all in the present moment. It's about being in the present moment. And I thought one comment, well, one thing he wrote in the book was that, um, you know, because people talk about enlightenment. You know, you hear about the Buddha, right? He meditated for 40 days under a, a Bodhi tree and he got enlightenment. So he defines enlightenment as, he, well, he says enlightenment means rising above thought. Which is great because we just talked about the fact that you are not your mind. So when you rise above thought, then you're in the world of spirit, joy, happiness, peace. That's enlightenment. And that's, that's present every moment in the present. <laughs> so what happens is our mind is not just our thought, though. Our mind also encompasses our emotions and our unconscious reactive patterns. So our emotions are our emotions are kind of like between our mind and body. It's like the connection of our mind and body. There's emotions are somewhere in there because you can feel emotions in your body, but it really stems from your mind, from the thoughts. So it's it's interesting. It's kind of between your mind and body, which is pretty cool. And uh, one comment he also makes is that the less present you are, the stronger your emotions can be. So here's the thing. If you're really, really fully in the present moment and you're in that you know gap of thought, I don't know if you can have emotions at that at that time. Feeling, sure, you can feel things, I guess. I think that's a whole nother topic. Feeling versus emotion. In fact, yeah, that that'll be another topic. I don't want to get sidetracked. So, so whenever there's a gap in our thinking, we that's when we can also receive these glimpses of love and joy and deep peace. And when you think about all desires, right? The Buddha also talked about desires. He said, cut the chain of desire and you'll, and you're in nirvana. So all desires and cravings are basically the mind seeking fulfillment in external things or future things. 
as a substitute for the joy of being. So that's something that um, the joy of being or the joy of just living, that's something I don't know many people in the modern world, I don't know if we have any clue what that is. I mean, I know what it is for me, like, like even this morning, I don't know why, but I walked out of my house and I was walking to my car and I just kind of was looking at the sky and I, it just felt good to be alive, you know, just, all right, this is cool. So there's, there's like a, just a joy of living, a joy of being. And when you can't feel that or you don't, meditate enough or you don't create the gap the space in the present moment enough and you do not feel that joy of living or joy of being that's when our mind seeks external things oh well if i had a new car i'd feel the joy of course you don't say it to yourself that way you don't say "Ooh, i want to feel the joy of being and a new car will help me do that because you're not the, the that person's not even conscious enough to know that there's a joy of being but we kind of go after external things material things to fill the to fill the void inside of us that is not being filled by the proper thing which is the joy of being or the joy of living and that's why in the material world People can work and earn a lot of money and write books and and achieve degrees, PhDs, vacation, forget once a year, they vacation once a quarter, and yet they're still not happy, right? They're still doing drugs and all messed up. It So what does that show you? It shows you that the material wealth cannot take the place of the joy of being. And so when we meditate, in a way, that's what we're trying to get more into that and learn how to do it. It's really just a learning how to do it. So he also talks about the the pain body. So he talks about Basically, as we live life, and and especially when you think of your past, you can remember all the pain you felt, all the times that someone double-crossed you, and the fact that your you know your upbringing wasn't perfect, your parents didn't do all that they could, or maybe you didn't have a proper family, maybe there was a divorce, right? There's a lot of pain that builds up, and we sort of store it in what totally calls uh, the pain body. And it's just a residue of all the pain that we've accumulated in our life. Um, And I thought this was interesting. He also says that um, pain, let me see, what is it? Um, Pain is non-acceptance of what is. So that's what he says if you're if you're in the present moment and you accept everything then there's no pain. It's only when you don't accept something 
that there's pain. And that doesn't mean you should accept everything. I mean, if somebody comes in and is about to shoot you with a gun or stab you, I mean, you don't want to just accept that, right? Or if someone's hurting your family, you're not just going to sit there, oh, and say, oh, I'm in the moment. I'm in the now. I accept everything. (laughs) No, you wouldn't do that. But in general, with mundane things, it's very helpful to accept them. And there's also a um, a little summarization here that I was was hoping to read. Let me see if we have enough time. Actually, I think we're out of time. Let me read this though to summarize. Um, this is about the pain body, actually, and we'll 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 get to this uh, tomorrow. I'm going to read this tomorrow because we're a little too close to the end and. You know, just in case we get a phone call here in the next minute, <laughs> I want to make sure I'm available. <laughs> yeah. So, this has been great. I mean, we talked about so many good topics this morning. We read the James Allen chapter about understanding the simple laws of life. And we talked a lot about the power of now. So, maybe as you're... <clears throat> going through your day today you can think about the power of now think about the now see if you can slip into the now and just be accepting of everything as it is and the other the, one other trick is not to label anything don't label it good or bad don't label it wonderful don't label people just if you're in the moment don't label anything and accept everything try it out so thanks for listening you can send me a message through the website themysticshow.net and I hope you can join us very soon in the meantime keep shining